0: Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to a reload of the What's Next podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes and I always like to bring those ones back that had a huge impact, not only on myself, but I got a lot of feedback from listeners just like you. I hope you enjoy this week's reload of the What's Next podcast. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to this episode of the What's Next podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Bova, and I'm joined today by Mindy Weinstein. She is a leading expert in digital marketing and the founder of the digital marketing firm, Market Mindshift. She has a PhD in general psychology with an emphasis in technology and is a marketing instructor at Grand Canyon university and the university of Denver, as well as a program leader for the Wharton school and Columbia business school. Welcome to the show, Mindy. Thank you, Tiffany. I'm happy to be here. And you have a new book out, so I don't want to uh, forget that, The Power of Scarcity.
1: It just came out? It did, yeah. It just came out in November, so still a new release.
0: Amazing. Well, congratulations. Thank I know you. writing a book is a heavy lift, and we'll talk about in the, that in a minute. But let me get started with the classic and ever-popular Bullish and Bearish. <laughs> Three short questions. Bullish, you're for it. Bearish, you're against it. Are you ready. I'm ready. All right. The first one, Web3 and Metaverse, bullish or bearish? Ooh, Bullish. Okay. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. All right. (laughs) Okay. The next one, AI-generated marketing copy, Uh, bullish or bearish?
1: Oh, man. And I can't just pick something in the middle. Uh, Bullish? Can I say it (laughs) that way? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, we'll go. We'll
0: go with bullish, and we'll talk about that too. Okay. All right, and the third one, a little less controversial, I think. Okay. Inexpensive
1: wine. Ooh. Um, you know what? I actually have to say bullish because I have a Trader Joe's wine that is like under ten dollars, and it is pretty darn amazing. I'm there not gonna go. lie. All
0: right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for playing along on bullish and bearish. But you know, let's jump right in because. Um, There's a few things, you know, for people who have been listening to this podcast for a while know that, you know, I always call myself, uh, you know, kind of a recovering seller um, Mm
1: -hmm. who
0: was forced at one point in my career to run marketing, which was interesting, and then ultimately run customer service. But I think that there is, um, I don't want to say confusion or misunderstanding, but I think people don't understand the role of a modern marketer today. Maybe we can just start at sort of the top of the top of the funnel and work our way down. So if you were to just sort of describe a modern marketer today, what would would you say?
1: I love that question. And actually, this is something I bring up a lot in my classes. And so I teach a lot of undergrads, you know, so these are up and coming marketers. And that's always a conversation is what does that look like today? And the way I describe a modern marketer is someone who actually spends the time to truly understand their customer, know what motivates them, their desires, how are they addressing their problems. But at the same time, what makes it more modern is we have to keep up on technology. You know, and one thing I always tell my students is that marketing and how we go about it changes, but marketing doesn't go away. It's just how we get our message out there and how we understand and reach our audience. I
0: agree. Now the now we're going to keep going down the funnel, yep. right? So if that's the it. definition, right? <laughs> and although I, I'm i not a fan of the funnel, which we can obviously talk <laughs> about, but um, uh, it's sort of one step down mm-hmm. is understanding of the customer, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I've been doing this for a minute. So I remember understanding the customer might've been, we had to hire an outside agency, right. go do all that interviewing or, you know, we'd have to do something. And now there's much different ability to do that. So when you say understand the customer, um, how do you frame that?
1: Yeah, no. And you know what? You're absolutely right. But what is interesting is because we live in a digital world and we're all leaving so much information out there that you can still... Get a feel for your customer without having to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on this giant marketing research project. And so when I say understanding your customer, I mean, we can see the types of questions people are asking. Uh, You just go online just for a minute and you can figure out what are customers posting, you know, on social. What are they asking questions about? I feel like even Reddit is a gold mine. And that's like a whole nother conversation and I have a can of worms. But my goodness, if you ever want to truly understand what your customers are talking about, you could go on there and they're all talking and you can see the type of questions. So that's a really good way, is just from the digital perspective. And it's a little bit of social listening. But at the same time, some of the things that aren't as hard to do that I feel like we forget about because we do, myself included, tend to get more drawn by the digital side is that we have customer service teams, we have salespeople, they're talking to potential customers. When those customers are calling in, what are their pain points, what are, again, the questions they're asking, what's going through their minds, and that helps us understand the customer too. And so there's like that traditional just actually talk to people side of things and then the digital side of really just digging into what are they talking about online.
0: Yeah, and what I find interesting is most of the discussion that I have had, you know, over a long period of time is this sort of connection between sales and marketing. And I Mm -hmm. always think, and you just mentioned it, I always think there's a huge miss when marketers don't talk about customer service or customer success, sort of what, whichever you sort of frame it as. Um, And, and, you know, even when you start talking about things like sales enablement or marketing enablement, it tends to be the sales right angle, like mm-hmm. marketing enablement of getting what you need to market in the hands of sellers so they can go out, right? Sales enablement, maybe training or things like that. But, but then I don't usually hear marketing enablement at the customer service level.
1: Absolutely. But I mean, they're touching customers. And as we know in business getting the customer that's the biggest acquisition but once you have that customer there's a chance to continue to keep them loyal continue having them buy from you your hire your services but also expand what they're buying from you too and you can do that from the customer service level but those customer are customer success they're on the front lines i mean they're talking to people so we don't have to be in our separate marketing world like wondering you know what's going through our customers heads That's actually usually a team within your own company that knows that, even if you're not a big company. I mean, there's at least one person who's, you know, a bit of the customer support that's available.
0: Yeah. And when I ask that question to marketers and they go, well, yes, of course we do that. Then I usually ask this follow-up question of, okay, as the marketing team, how many of you in the room have, when was the last time you went and sat in the call center and listened in on calls?
1: Yeah. I love that question. Crickets, right? (laughs)
0: Crickets. So they, unfortunately, back to your earlier point Mm -hmm. that they lean in on that AI and the tools and the metrics and the reports and managing from your four walls off of a, you know, a tool like, like a Salesforce or something else. Right. I mean, pushing information to you is not the same as hearing it out of the customer's mouth. Like all of a sudden you see calls spike, you know, maybe it's something or called times spike. It's something. But if you're listening in, you're like, can we reduce calls? By fixing what the problems are, by knowing what they are in real time, the best way to do that is to listen in.
1: Yes. I mean, actually listen to what they're saying. And I like the points you're making, even with the call center, because I come from the side of the marketing world where it is very much, again, digital. But I have to remind myself as much as there's great tools, and I already mentioned some of the ways you can listen online, we are talking about people here. I mean, that's what even got me to study general psychology when I worked on my PhD. I already had the business knowledge, the marketing knowledge, but let's never forget that we're trying to reach people so that even though there's fancy tools and all of those, just that listening to what they're actually saying, there's nothing that really replaces that.
0: No. And I would also say, you know, maybe do a sabbatical of a quarter and and become a salesperson. Mm. That's the other thing I would say. Because I think there's great misunderstanding in that, you know, and, and if you're a marketer and you do that, I don't want you saying, oh, you know, I'm a marketer and I'm just listening in on a sales, you know, sales meeting, like literally saying, oh, I'm a new hire salesperson and I'm just shadowing, you know, I'm just shattering Mindy or I'm shadowing mm-hmm. Tiffany, like whatever. And then you actually see those, you know, wonderful documents and slicks and PowerPoints <laughs> that you spend lots of money on and lots of time on not get used. And it's not because the salesperson doesn't want to use them. Sometimes it's because the customer, that's not what they want to see or hear, right? They want to hear and see different things. And if salespeople are constantly telling marketers, you know, this isn't working, marketers go, oh, sales is so difficult.
1: (laughs) True. Or sales just doesn't get it.
0: (laughs) Right. Or they don't get it. Right. And so, and I feel that the, the, you know, the power couple is the three of them, like Mm -hmm. sales, service, and, and, um, Um, Marketing. But, you know, once again, now let's keep stepping down the funnel. You know, let's keep stepping down the funnel, right? I think it's getting really noisy. And I think, um, you know, your book, uh, The Power of Scarcity, really talks about um, how companies and brands are using different approaches, if you will, in order to (laughs) sort of stimulate that demand, right? And drive more into that pipeline. Um, How can companies really think differently about? rising above the noise
1: yeah and i mean that is the whole idea of scarcity falls into that so that's how i will address that question you know when i was working on my phd you know again i already had a marketing background but i was pursuing that degree especially from an academic standpoint because like i said i'm an instructor at the university and i knew that i wanted to focus on a topic for my dissertation that really had to do with consumer behavior and what motivates people and like really with the bigger picture of what you're saying. Like, how do you cut through that noise? I mean, we're all so pulled with our intention and and all of that in today's day and age. So as I started studying and digging into topics, I realized pretty quickly that out of all the different things that influence us as consumers and what uh, really seems to grab people's attention is scarcity. It's one of the influence factors, but it's one of the most powerful. And a lot of that is because it's primal. You know, scarcity is something that, you know, our ancestors faced, you know, where there was scarce resources to survive. Well, now saying that a product is running out of stock, that doesn't necessarily mean like survival, but our brain still kicks in the same way. So when you talk about going down that funnel and how do we stick out from all or stand out from all the noise, it's we need to do things that well capture people's attention. And so the way the brain works is there, if there's any type of scarcity, which could be time-related, could be demand-related, supply-related, limited edition, even does the same thing, our brain starts to hyper-focus on that message, and our brain also tells us that this is urgent. And that's where it really becomes powerful. So incorporating either a campaign that is some type of like a limited time offering, you know, a product offering, or again, a limited edition product, or it's a you know short-term promotion that you're having, our brains are going to hyper focus on that. So it starts to help us get out from like all the different noise and to really grab people. But it doesn't work for every single person. And and we could get into that if you want, like the different types of scarcity speak to different people. So you really do have to know, really know who you're targeting.
0: Well, let's go into it. Cause I think uh, in the book you have four, right? There's four sort of thought types of,
1: of that. So let's walk us through it. Okay. So there are four different types of scarcity. And that is something that I do want to mention is that, and this is an important point to bring up because I think a lot of us when we hear scarcity, especially with scarcity marketing, our first thought is, oh, you know, those messages where, you know, something says limited time or today only, you know, 50% off. And it's funny because that's a lot of the feedback I'd get from people when I said, well, I'm working on a book about scarcity. And the comment would be like, well, how could you possibly say that much about scarcity? Because it's just this. Well, it's not. There's four different types. And so we have time-related scarcity which is a time restriction of some sort. So that could be your flash sales, that could be your limited time product, like the pumpkin spice latte, or I think, like I love the peppermint bark from Trader Joe's, you know, those are limited time, but it's actually time related scarcity. Then we have supply related scarcity. And those are things that either there's a distribution shortage or the manufacturer or company purposely limited how many are available. And we see that a lot in the luxury market. Then we have demand-related scarcity, and those are things that you know are most popular or things that have to be restocked or they're running out because there is such high demand. And then finally, limited edition, which limited edition is actually technically part of supply-related scarcity, but I call it out separate because it's so strong in and of itself. And so limited edition could be, if you're a service business, a limited edition service bundle that you have. It could be a change on the packaging of a product. But each of those things actually signal to our brains that this is scarce. So if it's a limited edition product, it's scarce. If there's a time restriction, a coupon that's gonna be like expire within a day or two, our minds start to really focus on that because it's scarce. So those different types are really important to understand. And they work for different types of products and for different types of customers. Well,
0: you know, there's so many examples that we have over the last couple of years, right? during COVID it was like this, we're going to run out of toilet paper. Everyone went and bought it. Right. Um, And then the supply chain, you know, especially if you look at the automobile market right now, like there are no cars. And so, you know, if you get one, it's at this like massive premium. And Mm -hmm. I I just went through this process and I was like, I'm not sure why I'm having to pay the penalty for the fact that you (laughs) all couldn't organize your supply chain. Like, you know, and some cars are 10, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 over sticker, you know? And I'm like, I'm not sure why, but if you order online and you're willing to wait, Mm -hmm. the upcharge doesn't happen. Right. Right? So that's kind of this, You know, I want it right now, I'm willing to pay, or I'm willing to wait and I'm not willing to pay, right? So it's sort of this discussion you have with yourself across this scarcity.
1: Yeah. And you know it was really interesting too that you brought up the auto side of things is that... You know, not long ago when it was brought up, you know, the Consumer Confidence Index and, you know, people were spending money and spending more than was expected despite, you know, fears of inflation and the economy. But when you really narrow down on what they were spending, it actually came up that automobiles were one of the major categories that month. And it's because there started to be some vehicles released, but people, what was interesting as you dove into the reports is that people were even taking from their savings to be able to like, now I can actually get my car. You know, I've been wanting a car and I can do that. Plus, as you said, there's a premium on the price and it's the, I want it now. And that's another psychological aspect though of scarcity is that we don't want to be told no. It's kind of like a teenager. You know, if you want them to do something, you tell them the opposite. Uh, but we're actually all a little bit that way. We don't want to be told no. And so, again, what happens in our brains, and we've seen it through brain scans, is we just start to hyper-focus on something. we got to fix this problem. I, I have a hard time getting a car. Well, fine, I'll put more money towards it. Now, this doesn't mean this is everybody all the time. It's just this is very often what happens.
0: And you think part of this is that kind of
1: fear of missing out or FOMO? Oh, yeah. So that's a huge part of scarcity is FOMO. And FOMO is actually really a part of a bigger psychological theory known as loss aversion. And that also dates back to our early ancestors. So that's what's just fascinating is that so much of our behaviors now started way back in the day. And the fear of loss, we don't want to lose something. And that feeling of potential loss is a lot stronger than that feeling of potential gain. And that's something that we've actually been able to see a through research. And and if it's one of those things that's like hard to wrap your head around, I mean, just think of the last time like you found a $20 bill, you know, in the parking lot. Like you're excited. Like you just gained something. That's great. You know, there's no one around. You're like, yes. And then at some point you're gonna lose $20, misplace it. And that feeling of losing that is a lot stronger. It's just how we're wired. And so we don't want to miss out. That is a huge thing. And so that fear of loss a lot of times is a driver and causing us to take certain actions, which is the same thing for our customers too.
0: Well, so let me let me pivot this a little bit because, you know, we've talked about scarcity, we've mm-hmm. talked about, you know, really thinking through this modern marketer. And I know the initial questions I would asked you was kind of Web3 and the mm-hmm. metaverse and, you know, thinking even now more about how technology will play a role in quote unquote branding and marketing. So step, step some of our listeners through kind of what, how do you define and look at Web3 and metaverse and where do you see it playing a role? Because if you, if you're paying attention lately, right, mm-hmm. NFTs, hottest thing, yeah. NFTs not talked about, right? Right. Like, you know, and this is where all the brands are going to go and they're, yeah. everyone's going to go to the metaverse. And, right. I, you know, even on TV commercials now and on TV shows, it's like, go join the cast, you know, at the, in the metaverse or go do this, go buy this and here and there. So you see it kind of trickling mm-hmm. in but you don't see it as this massive, I'd say a pivot, right? I don't see it as a pivot. I see it as kind of this very slow lean into something that may be new. What What are you seeing and hearing and thinking?
1: Yeah, no. And I was actually going to say the same thing. It's a slow process too. And um, again, I'm bringing another example from class because a lot of my students, you know, they're always like the newest thing, right? Up on everything. Oh, the metaverse is going to change everything or Web3 is going to change everything. And I think that there will will be adoption. There's already some adoption that we see there. I mean, you talked about NFTs. I mean, that's that's scarcity in action right there. But it's going to be slow. I mean, I feel like it's like anything. I mean, it's going to be a very slow progression. And so we will get there, you know, to like more people and more marketers and customers really embracing it. But I don't see it as something that is very, very short term or coming up. I think this is something that's more long term but i do think that there is really opportunity there for marketers i just think you have to be careful and like i'm going to solely focus on this right now because there's just not enough customers there yet it's good to be thinking about it and how can you dabble in that and does it fit your customers right now but again you need to think about how can you reach customers today too
0: well i'm going to use a you know example on this so i i bought my very first domain name in 1996 mm-hmm. And I was selling um, websites, web design, web hosting services, and email from 2000 to 2004. I was Constant Contact's beta <laughs> client, and I was Eloqua's beta client. So I've been doing this for a minute, right? And back yeah. then when I was selling it, people's decision was advertise in the yellow pages or go on mm-hmm. this thing called the World Wide Web. I remember. Twenty, <laughs> 23 years later... Hmm. Let's go, let me say 21 years later at the beginning of COVID and kind of in the first year of COVID, we saw um, almost 50, 52, 53, 54% of small businesses still didn't have online presence. True. Okay. And then if you look at some small businesses we all do business with every day, they may just have a Gmail account. They don't even have their own domain name, email, or, you know, let's really go way back and they have AOL. (laughs) It's really (laughs) it. but some do some do right so um you know I, I hope it's not a 20 year i mean i hope you know as we see these kind of s curves right that 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 one's taken 20 something years because i think technology we didn't all have smartphones in our hands i mean it was very different now it's now we're kind of way into this digital transformation so maybe it's 5 maybe it's 10 um but for small businesses or medium businesses that's a big risk enterprises have it the is. ability to sort of try and fail and keep trying to figure it out. But, you know, what would you say to a marketer who's like the only marketer has a very small budget is trying to do things today? Is this where you would tell them to make investments?
1: Yes. Okay. Oh, that's a great way to think about it. No. So what I would say is actually two things, you know, one, focus on where your customer is at today You know, where are they today? Where can you reach them? Because we're talking about future technology, which is important. I'm going to address that in a second. But if we're not having sales today and we're not getting new clients today, we're not going to even have our doors open down the road. So we got to really focus on what's going to really bring in uh, the revenue. So focus on where they're at. However, I still, I'm a firm believer. I read all the time. And I feel like if all of us can just even spend five minutes a day, just scanning headlines and just knowing what's happening in the world of marketing and just what you're, what where things are going, that's going to help you determine when it is time to start dabbling. And when I say that, we're all busy. So I'm not saying like, okay, now you've got to add something huge to your plate. Just download an app. There's so many like RSS feed apps you could download and you can just have different publications and just look at them, you know, as you're drinking your coffee or you're in line, you know, for lunch. And so keep an eye on what's happening if you're small business, but focus on where are your clients and where you're going to get that business today.
0: All right. And I'm going to round us out. Okay, We're coming, we're coming <laughs> home to the end here on this, but we've talked a lot about a lot of things. And I think um, when I sit down with marketers where I really hear this, what's the right, crisis of prioritization or sort of conflict of, you know, where to focus, we've become hyper, uh, I guess you said like when your brain gets hyper-focused on something, right? <laughs> yes. But on these KPIs, right? Oh, on yes. What are the KPIs of marketers today? versus what do they need to shift to? Because, you know, I've seen them go from, okay, how many leads regardless of good or Mm bad, right? And, you know, how how much is closing online potentially? Like, where are they in the funnel? You know, what's the net promoter score? What's your brand Mm -hmm. score? Like all those kinds of things. But I feel like we miss a lot of the human aspect of it in KPIs. To me, it feels very sort of cold and analytical to our beginning of this conversation, right? Getting out and not just looking at a dashboard and talking to people. But what are you sort of advising, you know, the next generation of marketers to rethink the way in which they measure what they're doing Mm -hmm. so that they can be much better at making quicker decisions and also being able to maybe even see around those corners better?
1: Yeah, you know... That's a little bit of a harder one because it also depends on the business. So I'll just keep it general. I mean, I do think that measuring the amount of leads, but that, you know, qualified leads (laughs) that are coming in because especially online, you're going to go all kinds of things. But measuring that, and I do still believe in actually measuring the dollars, I mean, we are trying to reach people, but we are businesses is what do all those clicks and those engagements that we see, you know, all this traffic and you see all these different things, like you said, net promoter score, but what does that really come down to when we're talking about dollars? And so that is something we talk about next generation of marketers. I teach in my classes is that as marketers, I mean, we have to show ROI, and so you're going to see all kinds of metrics, but we really need to focus on what's going to show our performance. And at the end of the day, you know, it generally comes down to dollars. You know, what are we producing?
0: <laughs> okay. Then that leads me into, I promise, okay. the last one.
1: <laughs> it's okay. It's all good.
0: Do <laughs> you think marketers should carry quotas? Ooh, You just said it's
1: about the money. I did. I did. I did. Yes. I mean, I, so I, okay, well, all answers, I always feel like there should be an objectives that you set, you know, and that they're very specific. They're measurable. You've got it all down. Quotas, I know I totally went down that road, (laughs) but I think we need to have a target that we're going after. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep it at that.
0: Oh, the classic marketer never wants to totally. grab a quota, never wants to grab a quota. And, and you know, that's sort of my, you know, I I, I say this, and if you could, you yeah. know, those listening, if you could see my face, I'm laughing, right? We're we're, we're having fun with this, but it is one of my angsts. Hmm. It's like, you know, marketers are like, what do salespeople do? Salespeople are like, what do marketers do? You know, that whole battle is like been going on since the beginning of time. It's sort of old and boring in, in my mind, quite honestly. <laughs> But when I listen to marketers talk and, and, and talk about sort of growth and what's working and what's not working, and they are not doing the things we said, like they're not going on sales calls. Mm -hmm. They're not listening in on, they're really trying to manage the business from these metrics. Right. Right. I'm like, go have a quota. Like if you think you're really driving the business, Mm -hmm. carry a quota, you very quickly will make very different decisions right? Because I spend a dollar and we make a buck 20 or I spend a dollar, like what's my CAC, right? What's my cost of acquisition? Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things work. But when you're carrying a quota, it is a very different mindset. It's a very different approach to, is that lead really qualified? Like, Just because it checks the box, is it really qualified for me as a seller to go and work it? Because then marketers are saying, we've passed... X amount of qualified leads. And then sales is going, we're missing quota because we're not getting good leads. It's like, and I'm not saying one is not telling Mm -hmm. the truth or the other. That's not what it is. Right. But this kind of agreement, like sit down, if you're a marketer, sit down with your sellers and ask them to agree on a definition of what is a marketing qualified lead? Like, let's agree. What's a sales qualified lead? Let's agree. Like, let's agree we're going to go on sales calls. Let's agree we're going to get closer that we have to just break down this wall of them and us. Um, and I don't mean from a reporting structure. Mm-hmm. I don't think reporting is the way to fix stuff. I think it has to start with leaders and it has to start with individuals. But, you know, it, it is this pushback. And if I were in front of your students, you know, poisoning the mind of the next generation, <laughs> I would literally say, you know, you want to be a good marketer, be willing to roll up your sleeves and, and carry a quota. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, you definitely have a good point. And I really like the idea of just sitting down and what is a qualified lead? Like, what is that? And I do think that is missed. And I love that, that point that you brought up. So you can totally, I would love to have you come in and talk to my students because they need to know. (laughs) But you know, it's one of those, the next generation too, we talk about numbers. I mean, We use analytics and all that, but they're so into digital that that's why like you have to stop sometimes and say, there's people on the other end that you're going to be reaching. We're not just talking about numbers and things, but you actually have to look at like who you're trying to reach and all that and for them to truly understand. Yeah. Maybe the trick
0: here is, look, I remember when there was no MBA for marketing Mm. and there is no MBA for sales and there's barely even an undergrad degree for sales. There's certification for sales in some schools, you know, here and there but maybe two dozen, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, you know, it's not much. I would love to see the MBA become marketing and sales because I think that it's a miss. The business is now, because of digital, it's very hard to separate the two. If you're in, you know, an offline business storefront, (laughs) right. And you're marketing and selling, you definitely can tell, okay, are people coming in the door? Right. Yes. But in digital, where does the marketing stop? Where does sales pick it up? you know, how do you journey map that through all these owners and KPIs? And and it's not about ownership as much as it is, is not making customers feel like they're dealing with different companies as they go through the journey. Oh, it's super digital with when I'm touching marketing, but then it's super human when I'm talking to sales and then sales doesn't know what marketing's doing and marketing kind of doesn't know what sales is doing and then don't even get me to customer service. Then no one I feel like I'm definitely dealing with a different company. And we just consistently see that in our research that it's just not sort of getting any better. So I don't know, maybe one day, you know, marketing and sales will become a, a, you know, connected class because I don't think you can have one without the other. Oh, I agree with you. Absolutely. All right. Well with that, uh, Mindy, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. You know, how can people keep in touch with you? And of course, for those of you listening, go pick up a copy of her book, the power of scarcity. But beyond that, How can people keep up with uh, your work?
1: Yeah, so I make it really easy. If you just go to powerofscarcity.com, that will take you to my website with the book, but there's also like my contact information is on there and it definitely would be the best way to stay connected.
0: Amazing. Well, again, Mindy, thank you so much for joining us on the What's Next podcast. I look forward to continuing to following your work and, and we appreciated all your amazing
1: insights. Thank you so much for having me.